Yeah. Yes. Yes, we have a prayer chain uh, that Dolly operates. If you want to be on their prayer chain, she emails it all out. Or for those who don't have email, she sends a phone call. So if you want to be on a prayer chain, uh, we get prayer requests all the time. Please talk to Dolly about that when you're talking to her about the director. Okay. Uh, I have one last thing that I want to talk about, um, and it's important, so that's why I saved it for last. And then we're going to look at the word. Uh, but it's this Wednesday. It's coming. Now, all, I know y'all are four square people, so you may not know. But this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the day that marks the beginning of Lent. And Lent is the season of time that leads us up until Easter. And if you went to a uh, more, what we call, liturgical church, like a Presbyterian church or an Episcopal church, they would make a big deal out of the Lent process. And usually we don't. This year, we're going to make a bit of a deal about it. And the reason is because I really feel like, as a church, we need to spend some time praying and fasting together and seeking God's face about what God has for us in this season. We're in a new season of, of life in our community, new season of church, and we have to figure out, God, where are you going? Who are we in this community? What, do you have, called, what have you called us to? So starting on Wednesday, we're going to have a Wednesday night service here like we usually do. It's going to be an Ash Wednesday service. Yeah, we're not going to uh, do the ashes. We're not going to do the full, uh, you know, thing. But we are going to be spending some time in prayer and reading scripture together. And then starting Thursday, this coming Thursday, this sanctuary will be open at 7 a.m. and It'll be open from 7 to 9 a.m. Every day of the week, so Monday through Friday, starting on Thursday, for the month of Lent, so up until, up until Easter. And I want to invite you, if you would like, I know it's, it's earlier, so we tried to make it before people went to work, uh, if you could come by and pray with us. We're going to be here just praying for our church uh, from 7 to 9 for the, for the season of Lent. Um, and we have prayer still on Wednesday at 9.30 till 11, and still on Saturday uh, from 7 till 8. Those prayer times are going to stay. Those are times if you need prayer, if you want to join us in prayer and contend with in prayer, come to those times. Our 7 to 9 a.m. time as a church is going to be for us as a family to come together and seek God for our church. Okay, So that doesn't mean stay away if you have needs that you want to pray for. Please bring your needs. But realize that from 7 to 9 a.m. is going to be a time for us to focus on our community and focus on what God is doing among us, okay? So in that, we're going to be spending the month of, or the, the season of Lent in prayer, and we're also going to be spending it in fasting. Now, a lot of people say, well, what does that mean, you know, fasting? Um, fasting basically is a two-part deal. Fasting means putting something off and taking something on, okay? It's not just putting something off. It also means taking something on. So often people put off food. That's a common thing that people put off. Please, if it's medically necessary for you to eat, do not put off food, okay? Uh, You can put off something else. Basically, what we're looking for is, I'm looking for something in my life which occupies my time or energy or resources and uh, which is going to be uh, a bit painful to give up. (laughs) So if you say, I'm going to do Lent and I'm going to give up, you know, going to the movies, but you only go to the movies once a month anyways, that's not really uh, what we're looking for, okay? Uh, if you say, I, I'm going to go and uh, I'm going to give up speaking, 
That's too ambitious. Okay, don't, don't give that up. Uh, you're looking for something that consumes. So if you watch TV often, yes, give up TV. That's fine. Uh, if you, you can skip a meal during the day, skip the meal. If you want to give up, uh, if you play games on your phone, which I know so many of us do, like me, I do too, uh, and that occupies a lot of time and space, give that up. So you're giving something up that costs you something, and you're taking something else on. Now, what do I mean take something on? When we fast, it's not just so that we can take that time that we were going to eat and instead work on our taxes. We take that time that we were going to eat and we devote it to the Lord. So you take something on. So instead of eating, you pray. Or instead of watching TV, you're in scripture. Or maybe you commit to, I'm going to come once a week to our uh, morning prayer time, 7 to 9 a.m. That can be something that is a difficult struggle. So I want to encourage you, as we're approaching this, think about what are those things in my life which occupy my time, my resources, my energy, that I can give up and take on prayer, scripture, seeking God for our community. Okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to spend the whole season of Lent praying together and getting insight into what God is doing among us. And at the end of Lent, we have Easter. And at Easter, we're going to celebrate what God is doing among us and look at those things and say, oh, you know what? This passage of Scripture came up four times during Lent from different people. May, wow, maybe this is something that God is calling us into, something like that. Okay? So you may have any questions about fasting, because it's important that we get that cleared away. Okay. Uh, so Ash Wednesday service will kick us off this Wednesday, 6 p.m., and then starting Thursday, 7 to 9 a.m. So it's be Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 a.m. here. Uh, yeah. The last thing I should say is that this is something about fasting which is important, actually. Fasting, is there's a lot of symbolism in it, I guess. An important thing is that Sundays, did you know this, are not fast days. We do not fast on Sunday. Why don't we fast on Sunday? It's the Lord's Day. It's, the, it's a day of celebration. So the Christian life is made up of fasts and feasts. Sometimes we fast, sometimes we feast. Even Jesus said, you know, Jesus, the disciples of uh, the Pharisees come to him, they say, why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus says, the bridegroom is with them. When the bridegroom's not with them, they fast. When the bridegroom is with them, they feast. So on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, we don't fast. We celebrate, we feast, we enjoy the presence of God. And then Monday through Saturday, we fast. Okay? Come on Wednesday night if you need any more guidance on that. But that's important. That's something that we're going to be doing. Okay. Let's... Uh, what time was it on Saturday? Uh-huh. We're not, we're not going to be opening the church on Saturday. No, it's just Monday through Friday. Yeah, 7 to 9. Yeah, thank you, Cillian. Saturday night will be 7 to 8 is our normal prayer time on Saturday nights. Yeah, 7 to 8. Thank you. Let's pray really quickly, and then I want to dive into the Word. I, I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but there is something I want to get across. So let's, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for your continued presence. Thank you for your guidance, and we ask that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to receive and our mouths to taste the word that you have for us today. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, well, today we are uh, looking at John 9. John 9 is uh, the next of these signs in the book of John. We've been going through the book of John and looking at different signs that Jesus does, different miracles that he does, and talking about what they mean. And so this week, we are on the second to last sign. Next week will be our last sign. Um, 
and it's going to be on the death of Lazarus, Lazarus and being raised from the dead next week. So this week is John 9, a man born blind receives sight. Uh, if you think about the book of John, in our English Bibles, they, it occupies 21 chapters. A whole chapter is devoted to this one story, right? There's something significant about John, the, the writer, writing out his, what he wanted to say about Jesus and then spending an entire chapter just on this one story. There's something here that I think we need to grasp, something that I think we need to uh, get inside of us. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read this whole story to us. You don't have to follow along. You can just sit and relax and listen. I'm going to read this whole story to you, and then I'm going to talk about it for just a minute. And I'm going to skip some things, but get to the good meaty stuff. Is that all right with you? It's all right with me. Thanks, Debbie. I'm going to read John 9. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to say, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, 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 but it's someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept saying to him, How then are your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed, and I received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. So they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he now sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, 
I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have already told you, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he has come from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in your sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I might believe in him. And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this, and they said to him, Surely we're not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin, but now that you say we see, your sin remains. Thank you, Lord. It's important, I think, to hear the word of God spoken. And sometimes I wonder if I spend so much time my own words. Maybe we should spend more time listening to the words of God. So I don't mind taking a while to read that. I hope you don't mind listening. Today we're going to talk about what it means to bear witness to Christ. First, there's a terrible misconception that's here in the beginning that I don't want to spend too much time on. But the disciples have this misconception, which I'm afraid continues to today. And that is that all suffering is a result of someone's personal sin. Who sinned? The disciples asked Jesus. This man or his parents that he was born blind. See, there's the problem, right? He was born blind. So either his parents sinned, and that was transmitted somehow to him, and he suffers now for his parents' guilt. Or in the womb... In utero, somehow he sinned, and that produces blindness. Um, if you find yourself trying to work yourself out of a paper bag theologically, it might be because you're down the wrong path. All right? So Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. That's not, suffering does not issue forth from personal sin. Now, there are consequences to one's actions. Uh, if you get plastered every night and one day you wake up in jail... There's a direct consequence for your actions. But your suffering is not dependent upon your personal sin. Be very cautious, flock, of any person who tries to tell you that all suffering is a result of your sin. Such people do not understand the purpose of suffering. We need to be cautious of them because they are quick to judge and slow to compassion. That is not our Lord. There is a belief that one's personal sin leads to ill effects in this world, and that's called karma. And that's not a Christian belief. So that's not what we believe. Okay. 
Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Suffering is a main symptom of a deeper problem. A deeper problem with humanity, with creation. You see, we suffer. We suffer because something has gone awry down below in the depths of what it means to be a created person. All suffering, in fact, is a result of us being cut off from our source of life. Sin is like a tourniquet. Once you twist it on your arm and cut off the blood supply to the rest of the arm, it begins to wither and die. We have suffering in this world because something has cut us off from the presence of God. Something has squeezed us, and now we are left to die. So what does God do in the midst of this? Does he say, well, your suffering is really your own fault, so you should get your life together, start paying your bills, stop smoking pot, be nicer to people, and then we can talk about you know, helping you along in your situation? No. No, he doesn't say that. Just like the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, we suddenly behold a man walking to us in the midst of our troubles while we're still out at sea, while life is still going wrong. Still, there's a beautiful passage in Scripture that I go to often. Paul says, this is the amazing thing. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, get your life together and then maybe I'll think about coming and helping you out. While we were still sinners, while we were still lost at sea, in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our death, Jesus came to us. And so in healing this man's eyes, Jesus is not just doing a good thing. Okay? He's actually giving us a sign that underlines his claim that he is the light of the world. Every time that Jesus heals somebody, every time that, that there's a miracle that happens, every time that when we pray for somebody we see a result of that, it's kind of like God loosening that tourniquet just a little bit. Loosening it just a little bit and restoring life, restoring health. Next week we'll see that even more with Lazarus. Whenever somebody experiences forgiveness, whenever somebody experiences peace in the midst of trouble, whenever somebody finds strength to endure a difficult situation, God is loosening that tourniquet just a little bit, coming close to us. This man's healing is a sign of the kingdom of God breaking in among us, establishing itself. But as always, as we have found it, as we've looked at all these other signs, whenever you have a sign, there's always going to be people who find it difficult to accept. And immediately this, this man comes up against three different groups of people that find it difficult to accept his version of the sign. I want to talk about them very briefly. The first one is everybody around this man, the crowds around this man, right? They say, this can't even be the same guy. Maybe, you know, he kind of looks like him, but it's not the same guy. Beloved, you're always going to have people around you that doubt you. Listen to what this man says. He says, I am the man. No, I, I can't deny that I am the man. Jesus made money, spread it on my eyes, and he told me to go and wash, and now I see. When doubters come around you, when people are around you and they're kind of throwing rocks at your faith, you need to bear witness to the truth. Being a witness means being able to speak to truth, even though those around you might doubt you. Next, the man is brought between the, uh, in front of these religious leaders, the Pharisees, and uh, 
They're very upset because Jesus is healed on the Sabbath. For religious leaders, Jesus is an inconvenient truth. Jesus violates all sorts of religious principles. You know, he's hanging out with the wrong people. He's doing stuff when he shouldn't be doing it. He's doing it in ways that he shouldn't be doing it. He's not attached to any particular church. I mean, wait, no, he's not attached to any uh, particular synagogue is what I meant to say. He's not acting like a good Christian, I mean, a good Jew should, you know. He's disrupting the norm. In fact, he vi- seems to be, according to these Pharisees, he's violating one of the Ten Commandments to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's what they're assuming. That's what they're seeing. From their perspective, he's a sinner. From their perspective, Jesus is a sinner. But it encourages me. It encourages me that they, uh, there are some among them who are divided. Right? Some among them who can't quite get over the miracle. Can't quite get over the sign. Ah, but you know, God doesn't listen to sinners. And this man's eyes have been opened. There's something to that. So number one, there's always going to be people around you when you bear witness to a truth. There are always going to be people around you that begin to doubt, begin to throw stones. And secondly, there are always going to be opposition when you begin to bear witness to the truth. People who, for whom the truth is inconvenient, for whom the truth disrupts a norm, but encourages me Encourages me personally to know that there was divisions among the Pharisees. Because you know what? When you're bearing witness to the truth, whether that's in your office place and you stand up for something that's right, whether that's in your school or whether that's in your family, whether that's with your neighbors, whenever you bear witness to the truth and you feel like everybody is opposed against you, God is working behind the scenes in the hearts of people. There's seeds being sown that you don't know about. It says that the Pharisees were divided amongst themselves. There were some there who maybe they wouldn't admit it outright, but in the back of their minds, they were beginning to think, ah, this doesn't add up. This doesn't add up. Yes, some of the, some of the Pharisees end up being Jesus' closest friends. When you bear witness to the truth, it may appear that no one is listening, but God is at work. So they turn to the man who was blind, and they say, well, what do you say? And the man says, he is a prophet. So now he's had some time to think about things, hasn't he? He's had some time to reflect on this sign. See, that's what happens. God does a work in your life, and you spend the rest of your life trying to understand exactly what that moment was. The man has had some time to think and reflect. When he was first asked about who healed him, he said, the man called Jesus healed me. But now they ask him a second time, and he says, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. The sign has revealed something about Jesus to this man. He holds a truth now in his heart, something that others can't take away. When God transforms suffering into signs of glory, we get a glimpse of who God is. And suddenly we find ourselves more interested in following Jesus than in the approval of others. So they... Religious leaders are having a problem with it. It's disrupting their norm. I'm going to skip a little bit and get to this. It says that they brought in his parents. Man, you know when your parents come into the room, it's, uh, <laughs> things have gotten much, much worse. 
He's had to answer to his crowds. He's had to answer to the religious leaders, and now he has to answer to his parents. And the Pharisees say to them, you know, what do you say? Who is this guy? And was he born blind? And his parents answer honestly, this is our son. He was born blind. But at the same time, the parents understand the risk that's involved with bearing witness to Jesus. You see, because every time you bear witness to the truth, there's a risk involved in that. Every time that you stand up for what's right, there's a risk involved for that. And at some point, you have to decide in yourself and in your heart, is the truth that I know worth the risk? Is the truth that I hold in my heart worth the risk? For this man's parents, it was not worth the risk. Ask him. I don't, don't come to ask asking us. Ask him. You know, he's of age. The risk was too great. So they go to this man and they say, the last thing they say here is, uh, fess up. Give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. I can imagine after all this that this man has been through, he's probably a little on edge. He's been asked multiple times. He's been had to defend himself. Anybody ever have to defend yourself on a regular basis? Man, I have had to do that sometimes in my life or I've been in seasons where the work I'm doing or what I'm thinking about or what I'm trying to communicate is at such opposition that I feel like 24-7 I have to be defending myself to people. And it is tiring. It is exhausting. I can imagine this man coming to the end of his rope. Again? He want to know again what he did? And yet he doesn't attempt to defend himself. He doesn't start accusing people. He simply states the facts. He says, I don't know. I don't know if he's a sinner. Really, that's your job to figure out who's a sinner. right? You're the religious leaders. You do that. I only know one thing. I once was blind, and now I see. Look, I don't know if the guy did it right. I don't know if he's, you know, maybe he did what he isn't supposed to do. But I woke up this morning blind, and now here I am, and I see. So, Do with that what you will. Maybe he's a sinner, I don't know. All I know is that I can see now. That's something I can't deny. Being a witness to Christ is not about being able to argue down the great philosophers. It is not about being an apologist. It's not about having all the spiritual laws memorized and and knowing the right Bible verses and, and spouting those out and being able to you know, edge off Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and, you know, get them to go on their knees in a, in a debate. Bearing, being a witness, bearing witness to Christ is simply about telling the truth of what God has done in your life. I don't know all of that theological about if he was a sinner or not. I don't know. All I know is that this morning I was blind and now I see. That's all I can speak about. That's all I can say, is that I, my life is different than it was after I interacted with him. I was going down this direction, and then he came upon me, and I, now I'm going in this direction. I don't know. Is it right? Is it wrong? You'll have to figure that out on your own. All I know is that he changed my life forever. So I can't stop following him because you have a problem with him. I can't stop because... Just because you, he's an inconvenient truth to you 
doesn't mean that he's not a life-giving truth to me. That's why I follow Jesus. Now, I love debating. Oh, and I love talking about the philosophers. Man, you would come and talk to me about philosophers. I got some philosophers sitting. I got Kant sitting on my bookshelf right back there. We can talk about Kant. I'm not a Christian because I can go toe-to-toe with Kant, because I can argue everything down. I'll tell you why I'm a Christian. You want to know why I'm a Christian? I'll tell you why I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because of one moment when I was very young in my room, watching my life fall apart around me. My parents are getting divorced, and I'm finding myself getting drawn into some unsavory crowds. And, and I realize I have no hope, no, nothing to bring a light. My world's just going dark. And we're just standing there by myself in my room, just thinking, well, I, I'm, I'm all alone here. And I heard the word of God come and say, I'm here. That's all he said. I'm here. That's it. I'm here. That's why I'm a Christian. That's why I'm a Christian. And look, I, I, I've, I've seen miracles. I, I've, I've seen God move. I've received words of wisdom. And I've, I've seen visions. But I'm a Christian here today because God met me in my room and said, I'm here. And that's something that nobody can ever take away from me. And I'm sorry, if you, even if you, if you could argue with me and you could show me, you could convince me that God doesn't exist, I would still be a Christian because yeah. he met me there. Yeah. And maybe it doesn't make sense up here, but it, it resonates so deeply within me. Yeah. It's something I can never get past. I can't ever get past that. That's why I'm a Christian. And so this man says, I, I, look, I don't know. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I just know this one thing. One thing I know. I was blind and now I see. And I can't get past that. I can't reason that away. I can't let it go. It haunts me. I think about it all the time. I was blind. He, he made me see. I think that there's some people in this world who are waiting They're waiting for God, but they're not waiting with an open heart. They're sort of like waiting with their arms crossed, sort of like, well, God, show up. We'll see what happens. People like that will never calm down enough to listen for the voice of God. But if you approach God honestly, if you approach God truly honestly in your time of need and simply say, Lord, I need you, He meets you there. I promise you, he will meet you there. Bearing witness to Christ simply means speaking the truth. When Jesus hears about this man's expulsion from the synagogue, he finds him, he seeks him out, and he finds him. I love it when Jesus finds people. You know, you think you're going in one direction, all of a sudden Jesus just kind of shows up and says, nope, we're going this way now. It says here in uh, verse 35, and this is really what I want to drive home as the point. Jesus heard that he had, they'd driven him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, sir? Tell me that I might believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, 
The one who's speaking to you is he. And he says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. And then some Pharisees around him. Maybe there were some of the Pharisees who, in the back of their mind, you know, they were beginning to have doubts about Jesus, that perhaps this man was on to something. So maybe they sought Jesus out, and they kind of wanted to get a little bit more inside information. They're hanging around him. Some of the Pharisees near him. They heard what he had said. They're close enough to hear him talk. And they said to him, Oh, surely we're not blind, are we? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Jesus says to those around him, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Let me tell you something. I, I hear all the time, somebody says, Pastor, I feel so far from God right now. I don't, I don't know if I can come into the church. Uh, Pastor, I'm so steeped in sin right now. I just feel terrible. Pastor, I'm so full of dark, darkness. I, I live in darkness. I, I have too much doubt in my heart. I can't even bear to, to come before God right now. Would you wake up? Wake up, people. Those who are living in darkness saw a great light. Not those who are living in light saw a great light. Those who are living in darkness saw a great light. Behold, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, right? The one who came to say, I have come to call not the righteous but sinners to repentance. Behold, the one who says, I came into the world for judgment so that those who do not see may see. Listen, if you're living in a place of darkness, it's precisely you. You doubter. You sinner. You distant one from God. It is precisely you that Jesus has come to call. When he came, he came to those who were living in darkness. Not to those who were living in light. Behold, God is close to you, says the Psalms. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. I think some people like to have churches full of wonderful, good, God-fearing, healthy, nothing wrong with them people. Beloved, I'd rather have a church full of miserable, man, I got to get up tomorrow morning, go to work, I got something hanging over my head kind of people. You know why? Because those are precisely the kind of people that Jesus came here to save. And if, and good Lord, if, if I'm around you, maybe he'll save me too. We have a need for Christ. You see, when we, when we start to re- think that we don't have a need for Christ anymore, when we start to feel like we can do it on our own, when this, this whole thing is just a rolling stone put on by its own perpetual weight, that is the time when the Spirit of God becomes something we we can kind of push to the side. It's when we need him. It's when we have a stroke. It's when we're going through something hard in our bodies that drives us to the cross, that drives us back to God again to say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. Every hour I need you. Bless me now, oh gentle Savior. I need you. Beloved, if you find yourself today living in darkness, the Lord is near to you. 
He's near to you now. Becoming a Christian, being a Christian, bearing witness. It's not about crossing your T's and dotting your I's. It's about following Jesus. Truly and honestly following Jesus. The T's and the I's, they'll take care of themselves. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let all of these things, all of these worries, and not just physical worries, but spiritual worries. Oh, I don't know if I'm reading scripture enough. I don't know if I'm praying enough. Beloved, just follow Jesus. You'll want to pray. Beloved, start following Jesus. You'll want to read scripture. Allow that to come along behind, but your first priority needs to be, are you following Jesus today? Are you a disciple of Christ? Do you bear witness to Christ? Being a witness is about testifying about what you know to be true. Debbie, can I ask you to go downstairs and invite the kids to come up for communion? And Jim, you can come up. Come on up. We're going to have a time of communion. Communion, the word communion, uh, sometimes we call it the Lord's Supper. It literally means to commune with, to hang out with, to eat with, to be with. When we enter into communion, we get to be with God. We get to hang out with him. Jesus says this, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. So I'm going to ask our brother, Pastor Adrian, to come on up here.